I'll be reading for today's scripture, Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 16, which are going to be excerpts from the passages. I would say look at your Bible, but it may be best to uh, look up at the screen. Starting in Deuteronomy 5, 6. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Deuteronomy 5, 7. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest and dedication to the Lord your God. And finally, in Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Then you will have a long life, full of life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Join me and join with God's people over millennia in reciting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the whole church said, Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for that energetic recitation. In 2016, it was actually supposed to be in 2014, but I had a little inconvenience come up in 2014, so it got delayed till 2016. I was invited to come to Croatia uh, to be the speaker at a, a family camp, what they called family camp, that has existed uh, for, for decades. In reality, it was begun even when the, the, the Soviet Union still held sway. Uh, in what was then Yugoslavia, what is now modern-day Croatia. Christians from all over the country, in fact, Christians from that country and Serbia and Slovenia all came there uh, to a really beautiful place. Um, I've never ridden a ferry to church camp, but I, I highly recommend it. It's a great way to kind of do that. Uh, a, a little bit as I talked last week about the idea of braving floodwaters to get to camp, but... Uh, I never ridden a ferry, but we were there on the Aegean Sea, beautiful spot right there on the water. Um, we did uh, groups during the day, and then I would speak at night and kind of uh, point them towards discussion groups on the next day. And each night we'd get done with dinner, and, and uh, again, kind of a, a tradition, it seems, uh, in most camps. A little bit of time to clean up and kind of catch your breath from a very busy day. And then you come to worship, and worship would start. Uh, before the sun went down and then we would move. This was actually a baptism right down on the water where we had worship was back up in, in, the, in the woods a little bit. And they were very attentive, uh, quite remarkable. I'd never had the opportunity to speak through a translator. I'd done it in Mexico very briefly, but not really preaching and certainly not a series of sermons where they're building up on each other. And And... And in spite of that handicap, I was just overwhelmed with the way they engaged in what was being said, engaged in not, again, not by something good about me, but by the message that God was bringing, bringing across. Uh, turn and come from Mark's gospel, 
all these calls for people to leave something and come follow Jesus, and we examined those kinds of things. But one night, um, about the third or fourth night of the camp, um, I noticed that people's eyes were not engaged with me any longer. They were looking in a different direction. And I, I just kind of stopped and said, y'all, y- something has caught y'all's attention. And, and I stopped and turned around. This is a picture of the sunset that evening. The rays of light coming over the horizon were not something that, that Photoshop created. This is the way it looked. The purple water, perfectly calm, the sun. And, and we all just stopped there for a minute and thanked God for the beauty of his creation. Sometimes it's not so much the the words that you're saying, but it's not unusual for the occasion to have as much power as what you're saying. And as we open the book of Deuteronomy, I need to remind you that as they listen to this, and again, a sermon is what we have recorded here, an extended sermon that Moses gives before he sends them on their way. Because the backdrop of what they're looking at is something like this. The road ends and the water begins. Their journey is going to take them across the Jordan River. Some commentators will even talk about the fact that the Jordan was probably in flood stage at this time of year. Bottom line is their path was not easily seen as moving forward. Again, as much as crossing was a challenge, you have to recognize that this moment in their history, for everyone who was alive, They had only known Moses as the person God was going to lead them with, and that was about to change. They had only known the existence of wandering people in a wilderness that, that were it not for the provision of God's manna and water that he brought forth, again, that's recorded from the rock, if it weren't for that, they would have all died there in that wilderness, and they were about to move into a land that had over and over been described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Life was about to to change. And as much, again, as the challenge of how are we going to get across this river faced them, they all knew that the challenge of what was life going to be like on the other side. How are we going to continue to be God's people? How do we do this depending on God thing, which was so reinforced every morning when you woke up and the manna was kind of lifting off the ground the way dew kind of separates from the grass. Manna was lifting off the ground. There's God. They're about to step into a world where that was no longer the daily reminder of there's God. The words of Deuteronomy are intended to give them a foundation and in in fact a guide as they make these transitions. In reality, we don't stand on the edge of the Jordan River. We stand in life, in, a, in a, an awareness that life is simply a series of these transitions. Some of you are sending kids off to college. Some of you are, uh, like we are, sending a grandchild off to kindergarten for the first time. More, these transitions are made even more threatening by, again, that accelerating pace of societal and cultural changes. Sometimes life itself can be quite scary. And Deuteronomy is written to speak into those changes and cues. Chapters 1 through 4 have given an extended kind of explanation of the history. What brought them to this place? Israel's history that leads them here. But chapter 5 changes the language. 
here's where we've come from. Now don't forget the God who brought us here. Amen? And chapter 5 begins with this kind of language. It was not your ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us. With all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. While Moses has just told the history of how, what, they, what it took to come to this place. And to a certain extent, the fact that for, it was 40 years ago that God appeared on the mountain in fire and in thunder and, and, and such incredible power. Moses wants to affirm to most of the people who weren't even born. Most of the people that were going to cross the Jordan were not even there. But Moses wants them to understand. Wants them to remember. And wants them to realize that it wasn't your fathers and your grandfathers, your parents, but it is you who God engaged with there. Whether you were physically present there or not, God wanted to engage with you. God has a plan for the way this transition is going to go. God has a plan not just for the way this transition is going to go, but the way every transition is going to go. And you need to realize that his purpose and his calling and his words are not just some sort of far-off, distant thing that we kind of can point to. You may think of coming to church and opening the Bible as sort of a, a review of history. God never intended it. Yes, it's the story of things that historically occurred, but they're never intended to be observed as empty history. They are intended always to say, and you were there, and you stood there. Can you feel the wind? Can you feel the thunder as it shakes on the mountain? Can you see the fire, the lightning that came forth? We are invited to that same kind of relationship. And maybe as much as anything, the awareness of God is not distant, but God is near. And God is constantly renewing that relationship of promise and what we might call covenant. He's renewing it with every single new generation. And Moses wants to remind this generation that they are part of what God is doing. It's a very personal call. Not just over the generations, but a personal call to a personal relationship to a God who wants to meet us face to face. These words continue as we begin what might be called the Decalogue or the Ten Words, Deca, Ten log words, or what we usually refer to them as, as the Ten Commandments, they begin in this way. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, and you will have no other gods before me. God begins this set of instructions, this uh, preeminent words, this idea that that we can sum up so much of what God wants us to be about in relationship with him and understanding his reality in this world, understanding his reality in our life, understand that he meets us face to face and personally, we start with this relationship of knowing who God is and knowing that there is none greater than him. Our allegiance belongs to no one greater. Our sense of of foundation isn't stronger in any other place. And to a certain extent, when we, when we chart the path of our life, the first thing we have to say is, 
I know who God is. Can you say that with me? I know who God is. And the blessing is that he knows who we are. And he invites us to join in that, that relationship. You can probably quote all ten of them. You may not get them in exactly the right order, but I think if I gave you just a couple of minutes, you would figure out and you'd add it up on your fingers. Uh, there, there has been, by the way, thousands of years of confusion of exactly how you quantify this into ten, but it's always been called ten, no matter how you exactly divide it. Note that the commands themselves carry us from relationship with God to relationship with each other. That ought to ring a note in our ears. When Jesus says the greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to make sure that they don't miss. And in reality, it shouldn't be missed because to love God is to love those who bear his image, amen? And all humankind, whether they bear it well or whether they are broken images, we all bear that image. And therefore, if we love God, we will love that which he created. But notice how Jesus would say, don't forget, and to love God is to love your neighbor as yourself. He'll actually expand that call for Christians, particularly to say, love not as you love, but love others as I have loved you. This is found in these, these foundational phrases these foundational words, because we move from what it is to love God and hold him up above all others to what it is to honor that which he's created, to live in harmony and in peace with humankind, to live in a society that orders itself not on the chaos that, that we would come up with if we just decide, well, today this will be the rule. Today, if you're bigger and stronger, you get all this. Today, if you're one of those who isn't bigger and stronger, we're going to give you all this. Instead, a world that is ordered the way God wants it to be ordered respects the idea that we don't murder, we don't commit adultery, we don't covet other people's stuff, we don't lie. Powerful things that undergird all of human relationships. And in reality, undergo those relationships in a way that has been formative for law codes all over the world, in every culture, language. These principles have been held up as expressing what it is to live in harmony with each other. So often in our own writing, in our own reading, when we as moderns examine, uh, for, look at a document for its importance and what's most important, how do we get down to really where the seminal word is, we look to the beginning and the end. We kind of say, oh, if I'll read the introduction, I'll know what everything is about. And if I'll read the conclusion of the end, I'll sort of sense of what, what's important. Very oftentimes in the Hebrew Bible, in an ancient, Eastern, ancient Near Eastern literature, the greatest emphasis is not necessarily what's at the beginning or the end, but is oftentimes folded into the middle. And when we look at the Decalogue, at what's folded in the middle not by word count, but in the structure of how it's set up, we find verse 16. Honor your father, and Jay, thank you for that emphasis, and your mother, as the Lord has commanded you. 
the way the Deuteronomy list is worded, it, it's referring back to Exodus chapter 20. You've heard this before in our past, 40 years earlier. Now I want to remind you of these things as the Lord commanded you. This idea of honoring your father and mother, Paul will say it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and in Colossians chapter 4. He will say children should obey their parents. And obedience is part of that. To a certain extent, I think Paul is writing into a world that didn't really understand the full depth and meaning of the Hebrew language. And so he says it in, in its most simple form, the idea of obeying parents. But for the Ten Commandments, for these words, this instruction from God, this moment of transition, don't miss this. This moment of transition from statements that tell us how to honor God... They become part of our lives by honoring father and mother. You also need to place yourself in this culture. We would see that in most of our households, not exclusively, but most of our households are children living with their parents. And as soon as children get old enough, they move out. Somebody says, hopefully, yes, <laughs> they move out. But the other thing that doesn't stay with this is the fact that grandparents or possibly even great-grandparents would have lived inside um, during the nomadic period, those tents. But when they come into these cities, they will build homes that are easily expanded so that children can be added and grandparents can stay. The idea of honoring your father and mother is not just, well, there's one generation right there and that's all I need to pay attention to. It is the idea that those who have gone before me are helping me get to where God wants me to go. Amen? And if I can first from, by the way, I realize we've sent, they're at stage two, they're at all those other places, but in reality, as parents, we need to understand the principle. Because our children, in many ways, will honor and respect us the way we honor and respect others, particularly our parents, even if they're not in our household. By the way, even if they're not in our lives anymore because of death, we still hold them and recognize that we've come from somewhere. If we were to sum up what God's trying to say in the first half of the Decalogue, we need to understand that you're coming from somewhere. You're not just there by chance. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And therefore, and I'm the one who's not made graven. I'm not, I'm not an a, a image of anything that is in part of my creation. I am greater and bigger than that. My name should be held up higher than any other name. And in your daily life, it's kind of interesting if you look at Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, Moses says, observe the Sabbath. Stop your life on this seventh day and recognize that there is someone greater. And as children, from the littlest ages all the way through, I'm still a child, even though I'm a grand grandparent, all the way through this recognition that there is some place that we've come from and some people that hold us up. And we're not going to throw that away. 
We're not going to throw that away in our understanding of what good and right and wrong is. We're not going to throw that in the way of I couldn't be standing here today if it weren't for their provision and their protection. That kind of honor and respect includes, yes, obedience. And I want to say very clearly, parents, I'm just going to turn it for a second here. You have a great obligation not to yell and scream at your children about what's right and what's wrong. How dare you do that? Which often comes across as, you embarrassed me when you did that. Which has nothing to do with what's right and wrong. But instead, that we clearly lay out, and by the way, not just when we're at church. One of the great challenges of being a parent and a minister is that our children understood that we expected these things of them not because we were on staff at the church, but that everywhere in life we expected them not to behave the way the culture said was okay, but to behave in ways that God says is okay. And you as parents have a responsibility to constantly be discerning that. And enforcing it not by how loud your voice is, but how your own life is adapted and is transformed by the things that God wants you to do. And that you will very consistently step into their lives and say, no. I realize that you're worried about getting in trouble, but lying to me about what happened is not going to help you be in less trouble. Somebody say amen. Do you remember the day you learned that as a child? And if you didn't, it is my prayer that you're teaching that to your children. The idea of honoring father and mother becomes this transitional moment of moving from what it is to honor God to be people that live in a way that honors God. Deuteronomy is a little bit different in a couple other ways, very quickly. The middle section makes a change from the wording in Exodus, that you may long endure. Exodus will say so that you need to do this so that your time in the land, the promised land, will go long. And some of your translations in Deuteronomy are going to kind of try to adapt the words to say it a little more like Exodus. They're like the rabbis that are a little concerned about the fact that it's not exactly the same both times. We've been reading Gospels so long and it's not exactly the same one to the next. We don't worry about that quite as much. And we look at the way that Deuteronomy is in a different setting than it is in Exodus. Deuteronomy says, your life will be fuller. Even if the days are not more, your life will be fuller if you recognize... That the principle of honoring mom and dad is the principle of recognizing a greater authority in your life like God. Secondly, it then extends into third, sorry, the third phrase. Not only that your life will be full, that you may long endure, but that you may fare well in the land the Lord your God is assigning to you. Make no mistake, when they read these words, on the way into exile in Babylonia, they had to stop and say, have we been faithful to honor God by honoring our mother and father? Did we, rec did we lose somehow in the process of recognizing that we came from somewhere 
and that we never want to lose that because we always recognize that our parents took care of us. It's kind of interesting. Paul is the one who will bring up obey, children obey your parents. Jesus so often time referred to the idea of, you've heard the law say, obey your parents or honor your parents. And what he would refer to is not children needing to obey, but grown children needing to continue to honor their parents in their old age. Because at least part of what he's calling for here is not just that children have to do something, but that as parents, we have an obligation to continue to care for those who can no longer care for themselves, who can no longer contribute to the family economy. That was true in Jesus' day. And church, it's true today. Kind of smiling at a row here in the middle. Somebody's birthday's coming up. And they're honoring a father. And by being here, honoring a mother. But the interesting thing is, is this is not the only thing that includes the promise. Because throughout Deuteronomy, he's going to say over and over again, even though in these ten words, this is the only one that reflects that promise idea, he will make sure that they understand. And again, this again lends itself to the idea of, this is that crucial point. If we're going to be the people who God wants us to be, it kind of needs to center itself here. Because in, for instance, I'll just quote this one from Deuteronomy 28, and we'll have it on the screen here. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, not just honor your father and mother, all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. The blessing of promise. The other half of the sentence is, as we go to the end of Deuteronomy 28, and Deuteronomy 28 is kind of the culminating scene of this sermon, where the, the, the curses and the blessings, if you follow God or don't follow God, are read from two mountains, and, and the people will hear this kind of summary. At the end of 28, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and do not follow, and again, look here, all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. This isn't about hellfire and brimstone. This is about a recognition that when my life is aligned with the God that created me, I find myself, even in difficult circumstances, blessed. And when I find myself outside of that plan and purpose and calling, even when my circumstances seem wonderful, life will be empty. Three quick points, very quickly. Staying with God in the motion. How do these ten words help us staying with God in these transitions? First of all, never forgetting the absolute of God. Isn't it easy in our world today to kind of say, well, yes, that's what God says, but, or yes, that's what I thought when I grew up, but, too many times now the transition into college becomes this moment when students and children get to say, well, I know where that came from, but all these professors kind of think truth comes from somewhere else. And very little will serve us well in all transitions in life 
to never forget the absolute of God. Now make no mistakes, the attack is on the idea that there is absolute truth. And so often we will kind of say, well, that's true for you. And we may want to kind of step into our our Christian Bible reading mode and say, this is what the Lord has said. And it is. But behind everything that the Lord has said is the greater, hear me, greater, fuller fuller reality that God is the absolute in all things. Amen? Amen. And may we never lose that sense that the absolute ultimately is God. And then more absolute truth flows from him. Secondly, if we're going to stay with God while the world moves in motion, we need to be remembering and honoring or appreciating the foundation upon which we stand. I realize I've made this point several times already, but I just want to bring you back to it one more time. Where do you come from? Where do you come from in faith? Where do you come from in life? And how have those two things mixed together? Make no mistakes, life has changed a lot since my great-grandparents Uh, ran Sabinal Christian College way back when. But what I can look back and say is people wanted to love God and wanted to follow his purpose. And that has changed my life. I want to appreciate those things. I want to honor those things. But more than that, I want to appreciate and honor the way they saw God as the absolute foundation of their life I want to honor and appreciate that finally staying with God in motion that foundation that we have can do one of two things in a negative way but I want to say I want it to do two things in a positive way first of all I do want it to be a firm place for us all to stand that's not moving that's not shaking But as much as it becomes a place firm to stand, I never want it to be a chain that holds us. Because in reality, Moses is preparing the children of Israel for a new life in a new world. And so what he says is, this isn't just a chain to hold you here. It's a place to stand firm, but it's also a powerful leaping point into all kinds of wonderful things that may even be hard for us to realize as we move forward. As parents, we have to provide that firm foundation that first of all lets them stand securely but secondly sends them sends them on a new trajectory in God's care and keeping amen and maybe for you that's happening this week won't you join me in prayer our father and our God we thank you for the absolute nature of who you are and what you are. And even though it's mysterious and and bigger than anything that we could ever imagine that it's holy, it is true and real for us. We pray that that reality will change us. Give us a place to stand when all other things fall apart or drift away. Father, may we recognize 
how every day we have the opportunity to honor the legacy from which we came from. A legacy that ultimately goes back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say. Today, the invitation is quite specific. It is my hope that you feel invited to prayer. I hope that you prayed with us as we prayed over these students this morning. It is my hope that you'll pray today on a campus somewhere in our school district or another school district. And if your school district doesn't have open doors, then go to the front porch and stand there and pray. I want to also invite you to pray individually for our students. Once again, Joanne Taylor has blessed us with apples for every single kid in our congregation, all the way down to preschoolers. They're out on a table. Some of you who know this routine have already grabbed yours. Parents, let some of us grab your children's apples and you grab some other people's apples, but please grab an apple, maybe two, before you leave today. We want to be praying for our kids on a continual basis. I can't think of any better way to provide a foundation from which they can move forward than to be praying for them continually. Whatever other needs you might have, if you need to make a public response, now is going to be a great time during the singing of this song. If you're with us online, we'd ask that you would uh, take advantage of our text number, 979-217-3300. If you want to start a conversation about how you can see God as a fuller part of your life, won't you come as we stand and as we sing? Lord.